I'm glad you're here. We're gonna um, we're gonna talk about something new, something new for me anyway today. Um, just begin uh, kind of a, a new train of thought, um, which is on the subject of of well, to put it in a conversational way, uh, self control. Let's say, um, or to put it in a more um, more sort of uh, Torah phraseology, the lotases, which are the you know we have two. Actually, there are many different ways to divide up the the uh, the mitzvahs. One of them is things that a person uh, is supposed to do, and a, some the, that category that a person is supposed to uh, uh, w- refrain from doing, um, in sort of a classic um, hit you over the head phraseology. The thou shouts and the thou shalt nots. So this would be the, 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 the latter of the two categories. And to try to understand on a deeper level um, what, the, what these uh, things that we're supposed to refrain from are, the, this whole category. And to sort of like deepen the question a little bit, it's something that I've always wondered about, um, which is that Everyone knows that there's 613 mitzvahs in the Torah, but they're divided up into two chunks. There's 248 positive commandments, mitzvahs ase, things that we're supposed to do, 248, and 365 mitzvahs that we're supposed to refrain from doing. In other words, the mitzvah itself is not to do that thing. So if you think about it, 365 greatly outweighs 248. So what what's going on here? Why are there so many more uh, mitzvahs lotase, so many actions that we're supposed to refrain from doing? And what does that say about our role in this world and uh, whatever fixing that we need to do? And how does this connect with um, the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and bringing down heavenly light? In terms of the performance of our actions, we're going to touch on all of these different aspects, God willing. Um, but before we do it, I just want to tell you something that uh, doesn't connect with any of this at all. Just a great, wonderful story that I came across and that I think will make you happy to hear, because it makes me happy when I, whenever I read this. <laughs> um, this is coming from a, 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 a book. It's kind of a... Uh, quarterly, I guess, or maybe it's an annual thing. It's called Kol Chevra. It's a little hard to track down, actually. Um, uh, yeah, if you can contact uh, Amuna Witt in Yerushalayim, she, she, she has them. And uh, Jeff Mann is your contact here in Los Angeles. Uh, but, but they put it out uh, probably about once a year. And this, this one, I'm still working through it, but this year's is is extremely, extremely good. Um, it's the 14th Yurtzeit of Reb Shlomo uh, edition. Uh, they're all about Reb Shlomo. So anyway, this is a story. It's a short story uh, by Ruvain Halevi, who is uh, one of the close chevra of Reb Shlomo's for many, many, many years. And he had a big influence on me when I was 14. I went into the Karlovak Shul and I saw someone standing in the, in the front of the men's section really just davening his heart out. And I never saw anyone daven like that before. And I thought, I remember just looking at him and, and, and realizing, oh, this is how you're supposed to daven. You know, you're trying to put your whole, everything into it when you daven. Oh, okay. 
So, so I have a, a lot of, uh, a lot of thanks to Ruvain Alevi. So this is a, something that he wrote. It's on page 121. There's a picture here, uh, of a, uh, Bukharian kippah. If, um, those of you who, uh, don't know it, you, you, you know it if you saw one. They're, they're, uh, kind of like a, a brocade cloth, heavy cloth, and they cover just about all of your head and, with a with kind of like a tapestry kind of like design on them, and they've become more and more popular recently. Um, okay, so here's the here's the story. Rip Shlomo says the most important thing is prayer, and this is written by Ruvain Halevi. I was leaving Israel. I think it was 1979. I was very down because I knew it would be very hard to get back. I knew Israel was the place where my soul belonged, and yet I was not able to make it in the physical world there. As I was leaving Jerusalem, across from the bus station, I saw this ancient-looking couple selling Bukharian kippahs. I felt that I should buy something from them. Maybe this kippah would guarantee my return to Israel. When I arrived in America, I went across the country by Amtrak on the southern route. I went to stand outside the railroad car in the sun. It was a great day. I was wearing the Bukharian kippah. As I said to Sheikh Yanu, blessing on new clothes, the kippah went flying out into the desert as if a hand had taken it off my head. The train was going 80 miles an hour. My first reaction was to pull the emergency brake, because I loved that kippah. But the other passengers wouldn't understand. I prayed, please, God, find a way to bring it back to me. I had noticed as the train was flying across the plains that the last little town we passed was Marfa, Texas. When I arrived in California, I wrote a letter to the, to the mayor of Marfa, Texas. <laughs> Quote, I'm a Jew who just came from Israel, and I just lost my special hat outside Marfa. Maybe you can put up a sign, and if someone finds it, maybe they'll send it back to me. End quote. A chance in 10 million. Weeks go by, and it's the first night of Hanukkah. I call my sister to wish her happy Hanukkah, and she tells me that I received a package in the mail. Open it, please. Inside is a letter from the mayor of Marfa, Bobby Richardson. He writes, quote, Normally, your hat should be in the next county. The winds are usually so strong at this time of year. But there have been no winds for three weeks. It snowed for three days. I sent a man special to look for it. How incredible. He found it underneath three days' worth of snow. I dried it out. Here it is. End quote. God always wants to show us his presence when we need it the most. Happy Hanukkah, the time of miracles. Keep on praying. So that's a great that's a great story, and I know Ruvain, and I think he's still wearing that kippa. So it's uh, I know the source. That's 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 a true story for for sure, one thousand um, percent. Okay, so so let's get back to this idea. What are these? Um, what, what's this whole idea of of? Boy, I, I really hate to use this language, but I think it's the, the, the simplest way to communicate. What is this whole idea of the thou shalt nots, right? And why are there 365 of them versus 248 positive commandments? What, 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 is, what is going on exactly? So, so like I said, this is, this is a new area of uh, study for me and... Uh, I'm presenting everything here as sort of the first step along the path of thinking about this critically in terms of the Torah sources. But we're going to draw down some 
Chabad Chasidis and the Tikkuni Zohar and some Tehillim and, and some, some maybe a, a new thought or two. And this will at least get us on the way of, of thinking about this. So there's a, there's a, there's a wonderful book. Um, it's a Chabad book. It's called uh, Hayom Yom. And there's something written for every single day of the year. And this is the Hayom Yom from the 14th of Kislev. And uh, I'm not reading the entire thing, but I'm going to go and uh, just go to the, the meat of what I want to talk about right here. So, so before I read it, though, let me just make sure that we're all um, kind of kind of appreciating the 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 oddness, if you will, of this uh, of this subject. You see, if you tell me just sit there, what do I think if you just say sit there? What do I think I'm I'm accomplishing? I think that I'm accomplishing nothing, right? So if you just tell me don't do these things and I don't do them. What am I accomplishing? I would say nothing. If you tell me, go and build a house, okay, I can see the house. If you can tell me, go, don't build a house, then I don't know what I've accomplished exactly. So if we're supposed to rebuild the world, if we're supposed to finish creation, if we're partners with God in terms of finishing creation, then I would think to myself, that there should be 613 mitzvahs ase. 613 mitzvahs go out and do, 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 build, 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 accomplish, 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 accomplish. That's, that's, that's maybe the male in me, but that's what, that's what I, I think is, is going to show uh, that I'm, I'm earning my way in this world. So, so the, just if you think about it, the idea of refraining from action in and of itself and that I'm accomplishing something by refraining from action, that in itself is a very curious idea. And then to think that there are 365 of these, as opposed to 248 separate active actions, then that in itself is even more surprising, that the great majority of what God is asking me to do is to actually refrain from doing. So hopefully that, that's a little bit clearer in terms of of, 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 of beginning the discussion on this and why it's really such a, such a spiritual curiosity, this idea of the low tasses, of the refraining from action. Okay, now with this in mind, let's read uh, from the Hayom Yom for the 14th of Kislev. Now, there are different categories um, that people are called by. Now, normally speaking, a tzaddik is really like the highest, highest category. But... They're different, um, they're kind of different, uh, I don't know, um, they're different ways to understand things and, and you approach them from different angles. So in this particular system, that was the word I was looking for, in this particular system, tzaddik is actually not the highest level. You've got a higher level even, which is a yashar. Yashar means someone who is upright. In fact... Another word for Sefer Breshis, for the book of Genesis, the first book of the Torah, is, um, is, is, is the book of the upright, Yashar. Because all of our holy fathers and mothers were teaching us how to be upright. And um, that's a discussion in and of itself. But anyway, I'm just showing you that there's, there are systems where tzaddik is not necessarily the top level. Okay, 
that Yashar is even above a tzaddik. Okay, so now listen to this. It says, it says that, that tzaddik is so-called, I'm quoting now, the tzaddik is so-called regarding his fulfillment of the positive mitzvahs, thereby eliciting revelations inherent in the creative order. Okay, so that's a... Now there's a little footnote over here, and it says, it says the downward, the, the order of downward progression. Okay, so we're getting a little jargony, a little technical here, but let's explain what we just said. In other words, someone who's a tzaddik is someone who's doing the positive action, and by doing the positive action from the normal order of creation, he's pulling down light. Okay, so you have the existing order of creation, and you're pulling down light, and that's, that's, what, that's what the tzaddik is doing. Okay, so now listen to this next, this next category. The yashar, okay, this is the upright person, is so-called regarding his fulfillment of the negative mitzvahs. All right, now, now first we've got to, first we've got to uh, be sensitive to the fact that he just dropped a bombshell already. He just said, we just said that the yashar is higher than the tzaddik. The yashar is someone who's refraining from, from the negative mitzvahs, who's, not, who's keeping the thou shalt nots. He's now on a higher level than the person who's doing the positive mitzvahs. All right? This in itself is a mind blower, okay? The yashar is so-called regarding his fulfillment of the negative mitzvahs, which draws forth revelations beyond the creative order. So this is extremely surprising. Extremely surprising. That means someone who fulfills the, who refrains from doing something that he's not supposed to do, draws light down from beyond the creative order. An even higher level of revelation of light in this world than someone who's doing something positive. Now, let me, let me just pause for a moment by saying we're supposed to do both. We're supposed to do the positive and the negative. This is not, this is not a, by any way, not that any of you are thinking this, but it, it, it demands to be said that, okay, what I'm doing, today's class was that you don't have to do any of the positive things, just don't do the negative things. Okay, that's absolutely not what we're talking about. We have to do everything. However, we have to understand that each one is like a different system and is, is, is revealing another aspect of light in this world and another revelation of godliness. Um, I may have thought, okay, a mitzvah is a mitzvah, and every mitzvah accomplishes the same thing, basically. But now we're getting a little bit deeper, and we're finding out that there are variations. Okay, now every situation, of course, is always going to be unique, but these are broad, character, broad uh, categorizations that will help us understand uh, the world on a deeper level. Okay. So, you know, it reminds me um, of, a, of a story. Uh, when I first was uh, starting to learn Torah in seriousness, um, I remember there was a class, actually it was a, a tiny class, and afterwards uh, a bunch of us went out and we'd get, a, you know, uh, something to drink or whatever it is or something to eat, and we'd sit and, and talk. And, you know, 
all of us were really sort of like newly on this path of really taking the mitzvahs seriously and trying to make sense of them and integrate them into our lives. And there was a debate that, that took place at this, uh, at, this, uh, at this place where we were at. And one person says, when it comes to saying the blessings, blessings over food, we're supposed to make a blessing over the food before we eat it, right? Otherwise, it's actually called, the Talmud actually says you're stealing from God. If you don't make a blessing before you eat food, you're stealing from God. An amazing thought. Um, but once we make the blessing, then the food's ours. So anyway, one person was saying, you know, it's better just to think the blessing and to have full intention. Like, in other words, you're like really focusing on the meaning of the blessing. than to say the blessing out loud and just to say it by rote and... So, so a debate ensues. Is it better to say it out loud and to have no kavana? You're just sort of like rattling it off. Or is it better not to say it out loud, but to think about it and which one is higher? And so there are people making... And by the way, you should understand, why were the people arguing the side that it's better to think it and not to say it out loud? Because they're embarrassed about making a bruch in public. That was, that's, that was sort of part of the picture because oftentimes, you know, you're with people who aren't Jewish or, or aren't observant and all of a sudden, seemingly you're talking to your cup of coffee before you're drinking from it. It's a, it can be a little bit embarrassing. And so people get a little self-conscious about it. So sometimes there's, you know, people want to make a case that, well, if I just think it and not only, that maybe that's even better because I'm really concentrating on it. Okay, so people have their different private agendas why they were arguing both sides of it, okay? So, so, so here is the debate though. Should you just say it out loud and you might be just mumbling it and not even having any holy thought while you're doing it? Or think it and not say it out loud even though that's not the ideal, but at least you've got sort of like some, some real kind of uh, sincerity behind it. So the debate is kind of going back and forth. And then someone says, why don't you just say it out loud and concentrate while you're saying it? <laughs> This is like a mind blower. You mean it's not either or? You can do both? You can actually say a brocha out loud with, with kavana? You know, and then, you know, the, 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 the debate sort of trailed off after that since that was obviously the answer, you know. But, but to me, this was very instructive in general that sometimes, um, sometimes people create debates on a subject. Is it X or is it Y? Is it Y or is it X? And the truth is it's both. You know, it's not either or. So, so um, by the way, I have uh, my own uh, private theory uh, that, that often comes up, a little tangentially related. Sometimes people want to explain someone's behavior, and they say, it's because of this. And then the other person says, no, 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 he's doing it because of that. And I always say, you know, when it comes to the realm of human affairs, if you can boil something down to two things... It's already both of them. You know, so anyway, that, that's, that's an aside. But the reason why I bring all of this up right now is to say that we're not debating, oh, so therefore you should just do the lotases as opposed to the positive commandments. No, we, we have to do them all, but we're just trying to understand what the specialness of withdrawing from an activity is. So now, what we just heard from the Hayom Yom, from the 14th of Kislev, is that the yashar 
is even higher than a tzaddik in this system, in that the yashar, through um, the fulfillment of the negative mitzvahs, draws forth revelations beyond the creative order. An amazing, amazing thing. Okay, so now, along those lines, um, in, uh, in the Tehillim, it's uh, actually Psalm uh, Lamed Dalid, number 34. We read it on Shabbos as part of the special Shabbos Pesuke de Zimra, the introductory um, davening before we get to Shacharis. And a very famous um, Pasuk, we say, Sur Meirave Asay Tov, right? Um, turn from evil and do good. Um, so again, remember, a human being has two aspects, the ability to act and the ability to refrain from acting. So what's interesting about this, it was, it was new to me to think about this, was the fact that sur meirah, refrain from doing bad, is the first thing that's mentioned here. Before it says, va, um, Va'asetov, and do good. So again, n- now with, in light of what we've been saying, that actually makes a lot of sense, that it begins with Sur Meira, because you have 365 negative commandments, so there seems to be that, ev- that, that, um, that emphasis. But now we have to really sort of focus on this, 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 amazing, this amazing revelation that, that's brought down here in the Hayom Yom, this idea that through refraining, through refraining from doing something wrong, you're actually able to bring down um, revelations beyond the creative order, beyond this world, beyond what this world can hold. So how does that work exactly? What does that mean and how does that work? So now let's go to the Tikkune Zohar um, and we'll get deeper into this. So this is, um, in the Art Scroll, it's uh, page 304, and um, it will really help to have this in front of you, just because it's, it's very precise. Um, it's, um, it's in uh, Sefer Shmos, the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 15. I'll read you the whole, before I zero in on the Hebrew, let me just read you the uh, Pasuk in English. Um, it's actually a long pasuk, but we're just going to zero in really on two words. It says, uh, God said further to Moshe, So shall you say to the children of Israel, Hashem, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, and the God of Yaakov, has dispatched me to you. This is Hashem uh, talking to Moshe, giving him instructions how to get the Jews out of Egypt. This is my name forever, and this is my remembrance from generation to generation. So we're going to get into this phrase here. This is my name forever, and this is my remembrance. Okay, the way you say it in Hebrew is Ze Shmi, this is my name, Leolam, forever, Veze Zechri, and this is my remembrance, Lador Vador, from generation to generation. Now look at this. Look at the word Shmi, and look at the word Zechri. Okay? The word Shmi, the gematria of the word Shmi, is 350. Okay? Shin, Mem, Yud adds up to 350. Now, the Tikkuni Zohar says, if you take 
The first two letters of Hashem's name, Yud and He, right? We're gonna we're going to um, add that to the word Shmi. Yud and He is fifteen, and we add fifteen to three hundred and fifty. We get three hundred and sixty-five, which is the number of negative commandments in the Torah. Right now, let's look at the word. Zichri, if we add up that word, we get 237. Now, if you add Vav and He, which is 11, if you add 11 to 237, you get 248, the number of positive commandments. Right? This is the Tikkun Zohar. So here you have in the word Shmi and Zechri, you have the 613 commandments divided up between positive and negative. But we see something very interesting over here, which is that we know in the letters of Hashem's name, Yud and He and Vav and He, I always tell you, picture it as a ladder going from the Yud on the top, working all the way down to the bottom. That'll give you a much clearer way of how to work with the name of Hashem then if you just sort of read it from left to right, um, or from right to left, rather. But um, everyone knows that the top two letters, it's like a, a ladder going from heaven down to earth, that the top two letters are higher are higher revelations of godliness. The Yud and the He of Hashem's name, you know, correlates with the highest, highest heavens. So that means that the Yud and the He, when you add 15 to Shmi, which is 350, you get 365. The Yud and the He are correlating with the negative mitzvahs, which means that the negative mitzvahs are beyond this world, are beyond this world. So that when you refrain from doing one of these thou shalt nots, when you hold yourself back, from an action that's prohibited from you, you're actually bringing down light, which is beyond the creative order. Because the Yud and the He of Hashem's name is already dimensions beyond this world. So, so this is a whole nother level into what we're talking about. Now how does that work exactly? Let's try to... Let's try to explain this in a very sort of concrete way. So, so imagine, imagine there's, there's light from this world. Light from this world, I can, I can do a positive action. When I do a positive action, I make like a vessel. I make like a kli, is how we would say it in Hebrew. I make a vessel through my positive action. I gave tzedakah. I gave charity. I, um, I helped someone. I did a chesed. Okay. So this is now a kli. This is now a vessel that I have made through my action. And now I can hold light in that vessel. Okay? Or, let's put it another way. There is a light that comes into the world. Let's call this light the light of chesed. And in order to bring that light into this world, I have to do the action of chesed, then I make a vessel that will hold this light. Okay? Now, what if there is a light 
What if there is an aspect of revelation which is so great, there is no vessel that I can make to hold this light? In other words, how do I make a, how do I make a vessel? Through a positive action. Well, what if there is a degree of light that's so great that I can't make a vessel to hold this light through a positive action? How do I succeed in bringing that level of revelation into this world? Well, I can't do it by making a vessel. Ah, but if I, with, if I refrain, if I refrain from doing something forbidden, then I'm able to bring down a level of light into this world that I couldn't even do otherwise. So that's what's going on right now. By holding ourselves back from something forbidden, we make like a super vessel. Because the vessel that we make through a positive action can hold a certain degree of light, but the vessel, so to speak, that we make by, with, by refraining from an action that's forbidden is so great, we're actually able to bring in a revelation that no vessel could otherwise hold. So, so why? Why? Okay. So now, unfortunately, you have to hear from me. <laughs> you've heard from the Rebbe. You've heard from King David. You've heard from the Tikkuni Zohar. I run out of sources, so now, unfortunately, I have to do the talking. So this is something you can think about on your own. I've begun to think about it, so I'll give you an initial thought on it. Okay? So, so, uh, so we have to go back to Adam and Eve. Uh, in the Garden of Eden. And uh, it's, uh, if you want to look at it, it's uh, page 12. Uh, but um, it's, uh, it's chapter 2, verse 15. Very famous Pasuk. says, Hashem God took the man. So this is Adam HaRishon before before he ate from the uh, the eight sadas, before he ate from the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, okay? It says, Hashem took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work and to guard it. Okay? Very, uh, very, very much of a, a landmark uh, pusik. Uh La'avda or la'shamra. So, believe it or not, on a deeper level, it says that all 613 mitzvahs were contained in this command. To work the garden means all of the positive commandments. To guard the garden was to refrain from all of the negative commandments. What do you see in the formulation of this pasuk that's different from what we've been learning up until now. Hashem took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work, which is to do the positive commandments, and to guard it, to refrain from the negative commandments. What do you see? It's, it's, it's reversed. Very good. The positive commandments are listed first here. And when does this Pasuk take place? Before eating from the Eitz Hadas. Before the world falls, 
before any tikkun, before any repair is necessary. Not only that, but the next pasuk is also very important because we can't understand Judaism's approach to life unless we understand this next pasuk. And you might get the wrong idea about Judaism's approach to life based on what I've been saying up until now unless you listen very carefully to this next point. Pasuk number 16. And Hashem, God, commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and bad you must not eat thereof, for on that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Listen to this again. And Hashem God commanded the man say, commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. The very first instruction that God gives to human beings is go out and enjoy life. Eat from the trees. It doesn't begin with God saying, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. That's not Torah. That's absolutely not Torah. That's not our approach to life. God says, go out into the field, eat from all the fruit of the trees, and enjoy. Just don't eat from that one. That's all. In other words, we're supposed to enjoy life. We're supposed to participate in life. It's just that we're not, we're not God. We're not God. There's certain parameters on our behavior. But within the context of that, go out and enjoy life. Okay. So now, what happens? The very thing we're not supposed to do, we do. (laughs) The one tree we're not supposed to eat from, we go and we eat from that tree. Now there's a big switch. Now there's a big switch. All of a sudden, it's not... What's being emphasized now is control yourself. You've got to learn how to control yourself. And it would seem to me that perhaps, again, this is an initial thinking through on this idea, but it would seem to me that perhaps the emphasis on the, on the lotases, on the negative mitzvot, if you will, the, the, the actions that we're supposed to refrain from, is a tikkun, is a fixing for when we acted and we weren't supposed to act. Because Adam and Chava, who are our spiritual ancestors, because they went out and did when they weren't supposed to do, we fix that by controlling ourselves and not doing what we're not supposed to do. Um, Let me try to make that more concrete. Because if I miss uh, five days of work, let's say I miss five days of work, and the boss calls me in and says, look, the truth is I should fire you right now. But I'm not going to fire you. I want you to do a better job. Okay? So what I'm asking you to do right now is to work harder than ever. So I would say, you know what? Thank you so much for not firing me. Thank you so much. You're going to see, I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to work harder than I've ever worked. 
So what I would think is, for for the for the uh, for the amount of damage that I did by not working, what I should do is bless you, is I should work and do even more. Let me do even more. So why isn't that the case here? In other words, if 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 I'm if I if I'm Adam and I damaged the world somehow, right? Then I should have to do even more positive things in order to make it up. You might think that there's a strong logic to that argument. So so why isn't that the case? Because we say that we see that that isn't the case. So now just try to go with me on this line of thought, please. You see, I heard Rabbi Manus Friedman say the following. A lot of people feel that, um, you see, when I do a mitzvah, I, I sanctify the world. In other words, the world is, you know, X amount holy, and then I do a mitzvah, I make the world a little more holy. Okay, a lot of people phrase it that way and think that way. But he says something much, much deeper. Okay? He says, listen, what do we say? We say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. God is one. We say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzfakot, Malokola Arts Kivodo. God's holiness fills the entire world. So wait a second. If God is one and holiness fills the entire world, how am I? The world is already holy. How am I making the world more holy by doing another mitzvah? I'm not making the world more holy by doing another mitzvah. The whole world is filled with godliness already. So then what am I accomplishing? Because I'm very much accomplishing something when I do a mitzvah. So what am I accomplishing when I do a mitzvah? I'm revealing the holiness that's there. I'm revealing the holiness that's already there. I'm removing some of the veils, some of the coverings, blocking us from perceiving God. When I do something positive, I'm parting the curtains, I'm letting the light that's already there shine through. Okay. So in other words, in other words, on some level we don't have to fix the world. Because the world's already fixed. We have to fix ourselves. You know, there's a famous story which is... um, a father is very kind of, what a, let's say he's tired, he's out of it, wants to read the newspaper, wants to be left alone for a little while. His child very much wants him to interact and play and the father's just not in the mood. The father loses his temper a little bit and whatever it is, he becomes impatient. And he says to the child, look, take something out of the, page out of the newspaper, there's a picture of a, it's a, it's a detailed map of the world, very complicated, and he rips it up into a, like, you know, a hundred different pieces, and he gives it to the kid, and he says, when you're able to put this together, then we'll play. So, a few moments later, the kid comes back and says, I did it. <laughs> and... The parent is like amazed. He said, how did you do that so fast? He says, well, he said, on the other side, there was a picture of a person. So I just put together the picture of the person, and then the whole world fell into place. So, 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 
So, what does it mean when I do something and God says to me, don't do that thing? Well, there are levels to that. Sometimes I have a lust for something or I have an addiction to something or I have some sort of overwhelming, compelling thing telling me I need to do that thing. Okay, that's one level. That's definitely one level. So God says, you know, that thing, it's not good for you. Don't do that thing. Okay. And who knows us better than God? God made us. So God knows. Even though, you know, I, I heard uh, from Rabbi Doron, one of the explanations why Lovin, um, who really tries to wipe out Yaakov's whole family, right? He tries to wipe out the Jewish people even before the Jewish people get a chance to start. And yet Lovin is, in Hebrew, is white. And we know white is a color of purity, of holiness. So how can it be Lovin, who's like really one of the chief evil guys of the whole history of humanity, has the name white? Seems like a contradiction. So, so the answer is, is that the Yitzhahara, the evil inclination, comes up to us and it tells us when it wants us to do something wrong, no, this is a good thing. No, you're going to enjoy this thing. You're going to enjoy this thing. This thing is a good thing. So it comes to us wearing white, so to speak. And we have to know that it's, wait a second, no, there's something wrong here. It's, it's not that. Okay, so, so now there's part of me that says, you know what? The Torah says this is how to do it. But you know what? I know better. I'm going to do it this way. And this is really where we get to the depths of it. Of maybe why the lotases, why the refraining from action is really such a fixing for the world. Because like we said, the world is already holy. The world on a very deep level is already fixed. We have to fix ourselves. You see, when the Torah says, don't do a certain thing, and then we go ahead and we do it, what we've done is, We've made ourselves the final authority and not God. We've said, you know what? I call the shots ultimately. God, you gave me the Torah. Thank you very much. It's a wonderful book of suggestions. (laughs) I promise you I will consider them. (laughs) But, But God says, no, these are not... These are not suggestions. These are not suggestions. This is the bedrock of the world. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. Okay, so, so when a person realizes the truth of what I'm saying right now, okay, now, they, now you have to go slowly, you have to integrate it in a way that's psychologically and, 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 and uh, you know, in terms of a person's, um, you know, just peace of mind in, in a way that they, they can do it in a, in a sensible way and you need a guide, you need a teacher to help you in terms of creating a plan of how you can start to do these things in your life. But, but nonetheless, there was something fundamentally askew when Adam ate from the tree of knowledge. So the way that I learned it um, uh, from the Ramchal is the following. You see... The first thing that we have to understand is that um, that it was a very, 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 very great temptation 
for him to eat from the tree. In other words, we all say it humorously. We say, oh, he had one thing that he wasn't supposed to do and he did it. But it wasn't like that. There was a great desire to do that thing. There was a great desire to do it. It wasn't like a small thing and he just happened to have done it. You know? Don't try to use this coupon. It expired last week. Ah, I'll use it. No, it's, it wasn't like that. <laughs> you see, here's the, here's the problem. Try to, try to put yourself in Adam's shoes. Bless you. Try to put yourself in Adam's shoes for a moment. There's one God in the world, seemingly. There is, but there, there's one God in the world. And he says, don't eat from this tree. And yet, it says right in the Torah, the tree looked delicious. Now let's think about that for a moment. If God says that tree is bad, why does it look delicious? If it's bad, it should look bad. You know? You know, like, if, if, if I want cocaine... Where should, how should I get cocaine? I should have to scrape it from the inside of a rotting corpse. Right? Not just sort of like harvest it from a plant and grind up something. Pretty flower. What's so terrible, right? It's a pretty flower. Right? Heroin comes from poppies, right? Poppies are pretty. You know, there's some, and yet we know it kills you. Kills you, kills your family, kills your community, kills your business. Kills the community, right? So, so how can it be that the fruit looked good if it's so terrible? So, so the snake starts to get inside Adam and Chava's head and starts saying, you know something? There must be another power in the world. Because you've got the power that says, don't eat it. But then there must be another power who fights against that first power who says, don't eat it, who's making it look good. Because it can't look good if it's bad. If it looks good, that means there must be some other power in the world. And God doesn't want you to side with that power because then you're going to become a power also. You're going to be like God. And God doesn't want any competitors. Now all of a sudden the temptation is, well, if there's not one God, if there's more than one power, and then, oh, why shouldn't I be a power too? So this is what we all go through in our lives. How many powers are there? If there's one power... And that one power says, don't do this thing, even if it looks good, don't do this thing, then we have to listen to that power. In other words, when we refrain from doing something that we're not supposed to do, what we are doing on the deepest level is testifying to the oneness of God in this world. The fact that there's only one power, that there's no other power And certainly, we're not a power like God. And that is the fixing 
of Adam and Chava eating from the Eitz Hadas. And that requires self-control. That requires bittel. See, I'll tell you something deep, just because you should know it, because this is reality. It's not happy, but it's reality, so you need to know it. Which is that if there's a positive commandment, and I don't do a positive commandment, let's say tefillin, for instance. Let's say a day goes by, God forbid, that I don't put tefillin on. Okay? If the next day I say, Hashem, I'm sorry, you told me to put tefillin on, and I didn't, and I'm really sorry, and I shouldn't have done that, and I'm going to fix it for the rest of my life, certainly for today, but for the rest of my life, I'm going to put on tefillin. It fixes it right away. That's called tshuva shlema. You fix it right away. But now listen to this. If God tells me not to do something, don't eat non-kosher food, and I eat non-kosher food, and I say, Hashem, I'm sorry, I ate the non-kosher food, I'm not going to do it again, I'm going to keep kosher from now on. God says, okay, very good. But the, the, the damage on a soul level is only fully rectified after Yom Kippur. I have to go through a Yom Kippur in order to remove the spiritual blemish that took place from violating a negative commandment. That's very different. That's very different. Why should the tshuva, why should the rectification, the return to God, the repair of the relationship, why should it be more intense to correct something that I wasn't supposed to do but did anyway, as opposed to something that I didn't do that I should have done? Because you know what? What did we just say? a little while ago. We said, the world is already perfect. We just have to repair ourselves. So if I didn't do something that I'm supposed to do, the world is already perfect. Okay, I didn't repair myself. That was one opportunity I had to perfect myself a little bit more. I didn't do it. Okay, I'll start doing it again, and I'm back on track. Ah, but with the negative commandments, if I have to, by refraining from certain actions, testify that there's only one power in the world and I'm not supposed to do something and I do it anyway, I'm right back in the Garden of Eden eating from the Tree of Knowledge. I'm right back there. I'm right back there saying, God, you know something? It's a very special club. Two people running the world, you and me. Nice to be in business with you. God says, take a step back for a moment. Let's let's rethink this partnership. It's true we're in business together. But, you know, there's one seat at the head of the board table, right? All right, we'll stop here.